Hello and welcome to Point Streak, a podcast where we talk everything gaming and the issues that concern gamers. We're all members and contributors at Enthusiacs.com and thank you once again for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at Enthusiacs or check out our YouTube channel, Enthusiacs, where all our video content resides. I'm your host, Jeff, or Baron Fang, and today I am joined by Tony. How are you? Good. Hello. And by Chris. How are you, Chris? Good. Hello, everyone. So what have we all been playing recently? How about you, Tony? Um, I think I'm like just under the uh, 100-hour mark on Mass Effect Andromeda. Just started the uh, Insanity playthrough and just trying to finish up the uh, last couple trophies so I can uh, have, I think, what will be my fourth Platinum trophy. And then uh, mm. I-, I got the uh, the Prey download or the Prey demo downloaded and I started playing it. But uh, I, I've been enjoying it, but I just got stuck at some point. I don't know how to proceed. So mm. um, hopefully get back into that at some point, maybe even pick the game up at some point. Yeah, that's uh, end of this month, is it? Uh, I think end, it's end of May. It, at the time of the recording, I think it's out next week. Oh, okay, all right. Or no, it's already out at this point. No, I'm sorry, it came out on Friday. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, what have you been up to, Chris? I've been playing uh, a little bit of classic StarCraft and a little bit of StarCraft Two. I'm just jumping back between both. Uh, I also finished Mass Effect Andromeda last Sunday. I did my insanity run on the first playthrough, and it took me about 93 hours. Wow. Well, uh, I don't know whether to bother mentioning what game I've been playing or just segue into our topic, because (laughs) they are, in fact, the same thing, Mass Effect Andromeda, uh, which I've been playing as well, and I finished on Wednesday. And I'm not doing an Andromeda, uh, sorry, an insanity playthrough, but I did just about hit the 100-hour mark. I think I came in at about 97 uh, and unless I start going after the few remaining Chivos uh, or trophies, I'll probably leave it there. Um, but yeah, uh, our topic this week is uh, is Mass Effect Andromeda. We did a preview going back um, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, and I'm struggling to remember who was on that, but I'm sure it was le- at least one of you two, if not both. So uh, given that the game came out um, in, uh, was it end of March? Uh yeah, believe March twenty first. Yeah, uh, I figured it, it was probably best we didn't wait any longer to get to it. Um, while our and uh, given that we were all seemed to be getting to the point we were about to finish <laughs> within a few weeks of one another, it was it was timely. So, yeah, let's talk uh, our our uh, experience of Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, so I might just ask. Uh, have we have we all did we all come in right around the hundred hour mark? Is that is that uh, about right? Yeah, I definitely. Yep. For me, I know I I like finished the the main campaign probably closer to maybe fifty hours or so on, mm. on a normal playthrough. But um, I, you know, I was going through all the side quests and everything, and uh, mm. I think last I checked before I started my insanity playthrough, I was at sixty seven hours, I believe, and. I've at least sunk another 20 into it. So that's why I was saying I was pretty close to that 100-hour mark. Yeah. I uh, I haven't gone back and looked at the other two, but I know the first time I played uh, the original Mass Effect, I actually came in pretty close to that, if you include the DLC. Uh, and Mass Effect 2, I actually was probably well over that, but there was a ton of DLC for that game as well. So... Um, It'll be, and we'll get to this later, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do DLC-wise with this game, um, at least in comparison to what they've done with uh, previous Mass Effect iterations. So, 
I'll start with you, Tony. What, what were your, uh, you know, your Cliff Notes sort of impressions of the, of the game? Uh, what, how did, what did you think? Um, I'd say I was honestly pleasantly surprised. I was kind of, you know, going into this with low expectations. I didn't want to buy too much into the hype, um, but I, I did always want it to be a good game, regardless of anything that happened in the uh, previous titles. I did want it to be good, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, for me to sink that many hours into it after completing the game, I think should speak to it. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No, so I we'll think get it would, into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I'd say I, I really enjoyed it actually more so than I uh, was expecting to. Yep. How about you, Chris? Um, I I consider it to be a pretty average game. Uh, I you know I played it for almost a hundred hours. I I wouldn't say that's indicative of the game's quality. Uh, um, that's more of just how I play games where I want to complete as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, especially in a game like that where there's like you know character development and and leveling up and skills and stuff. Mm. Um, so it was it was pretty average. Um, I there were quite a few things that I really, really enjoyed about it. Um, there were quite a few things that weren't all that good. Um, so it was, it was kind of hit or miss, mm. but you know, a net, I think I would say it was like a net positive, uh, the kind of game that I'd say is something that you would buy, uh, that you, that you should buy on sale rather than uh, maybe for full price. But yeah. You know, we'll get into more specifics, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I, the only Mass Effect game I ever paid full price for was Mass Effect 3. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, pr- prior to this, I mean. I mean, I did technically play full price for this, too. But, uh, yeah, my, my experiences of the two that I bought on sale before were uh, by far the best. I think I played five bucks for the first one. So, yeah, I got yeah. my money's worth there. <laughs> um I, I'm and I, I might uh, ask you to something quick because I'm sure this came up. I'm almost certain this came up during our preview talk. Um, now, granted, maybe I'm a little bit biased because uh, I was just uh, after I'd finished two, and granted, I finished Mass Effect two fairly late in the game. I finished it only about uh, eight or nine months before three came out, maybe a little bit longer. I I was at the middle of the hype hurricane, although I was trying to avoid spoilers for three. Um, I was living in a big city, and I can remember every time I went past, a, in the lead-up to the game, billboards, bus stop advertising, TV spots. The marketing machine for Mass Effect 3 was just crazy. Uh, I didn't get the impression that there was a ton of marketing out there for this game, and I don't know whether that's because I just didn't notice it or whether objectively there was less. I mean, what was y- your experiences, Tony? Did did you? This game didn't sneak up on you, I'm sure, but no, did, was it no, everywhere? No. Did it seem like it was just everywhere, like three was? You know, it's it's funny because I've always hear about like you know I know obviously you're not in LA or anything like that, but all these billboards and everything. I never see anything like that or on bus stops or anything, but. Um, mm. I remember, I think a week or two before it came out, it was all over YouTube ads. Um, I did see a TV spot for it once or twice, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, I feel like it wasn't as hyped as, as three was three was definitely had a much bigger presence in my opinion, but, uh, yeah, I don't think it was too, too overblown. I don't know if that was intentional or what the case may be with that one, but yeah, I don't think it was, I mean, it definitely had a presence, just not maybe yeah. as much as, uh, the uh, previous titles, or at least three. Yeah. Well, Chris, you've got it on two um, platforms. It, did it? Was it as visible as games, Mass Effect games, have been in the past, in your opinion? Or uh, I had no exposure myself to the first two Mass Effects um, until 
same thing until way late. Much uh, later. I picked yeah. up. Yeah, I got Mass Effect 2 with my Xbox 360 bundle in 2010, mm. and I'd never heard of the series before then. Uh, and I got Mass Effect, the original Mass Effect, I got it used um, because I didn't want to start with number two in the series. So that was, you know, November 2010 is the first time I, I played those games at all. Uh, Mass Effect 3 was much more hyped. I think there was more mainstream hype, or maybe it was just that combined with my exposure to like gaming press a little bit more. Uh, it, it could be that. Yeah. But uh, Mass Effect Andromeda was toned down from Mass Effect 3, but still um, they were, it seemed like they were attempting to hype it at least um, in a kind of a careful, understated sense. Yeah. Um, more so, I want to say more so they were appealing to hardcore fans um, and really hyping it among their, their grassroots base hmm. um, and then kind of not not saying too much about it in general to other people. Um, if you looked at all of their, their promo material, the N seven day trailer from, uh, this past year and, and all of that kind of stuff seemed to be aimed towards the people they already knew hmm. would be buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I mean, as somebody who gets emails from the Bioware store, they were certainly hawking a lot of merchandise <laughs> in advance true, of the game. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of shirts and stuff with, uh, Andromeda initiative stuff on it. Well, yeah, and you know, the other thing, too, is that I don't know if we're going to touch on this later, but I mean, the the pre-release, like, you know, obviously, like I was saying, a week or two into it before, there was definitely some announcements. But I mean, there was really for like the longest time, there was never any gameplay trailers. There was never, it wasn't really much in the way of getting this thing out until it was, okay, now we have a release date. Now we'll start putting trailers out. It was like, so I guess, yeah, I I, I see what Chris is saying, where they were maybe trying to just hype it up among the grassroots fans. I, I could. Yeah, I mean that seems a little bizarre for an EA company, but yeah, it seems like that's what was happening. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get the bugs discussion out of the way up front. Uh, we did spend a bit of time in the preview discussion talking about some of the concerns that the people who had played early uh, preview copies had uh, had some concerns about, and those were largely correct. Um, although there's been one, either one or two patches since then, uh, since the release of, well, actually there was a day one patch and then there was a, a later patch. So I, I think technically there have been two that, that I'm aware of, at least of substance. Um, speaking for myself, uh, I was, I'm annoyed to see the quality backslide further yet. Um, I, I played Mass Effect 1 didn't I? I don't have any memory of Mass Effect One being a buggy game. I, I, is it possible that my love for the game colored that reality a little bit? Maybe it had more bugs than I than I thought. Who knows? Uh, but I don't really have a lot of memory of it. Two, maybe a few more bugs. Not again. Not really there in my memory. Three had a quite a lot of bugs and lazy stuff creeping into the game. Uh, quest stuff in particular and. Some some other things that are you know with in the fullness of time are getting harder to remember. Uh, this is undoubtedly the buggiest one that I've played. I don't, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I anyone who d- would dispute that, I, I don't know how you could at this point. Um, maybe two or three patches from now, that won't be the case anymore. It's frustrating to see that. Uh, this isn't. I, I I don't know that this is something that's been rebuilt from the ground up, but 
I, d I don't know how you get four iterations into a series and have this many bugs, although I suppose the Assassin's Creed uh, games have, have gone that route, too. They've kind of gone up and down as well in terms of quality control. Um, I'll say that my gameplay experience was affected in in by way of a few having a few situations where I had to reload a number of times. It wasn't really egregious. Uh, near the ending section, I had to redo a section over with. I fell through the map quite a number of times. Yep. Uh, more, particularly in remnant sections. I don't know if there's some pattern there, but the remnant sections, I had a lot of map falling through stuff. Um, the facial stuff is just... Um, I, can we? Is that even a bug? I, I don't even think that's a bug so much as just they screwed it up and why why they would have gone backwards in terms of understanding how that stuff works three four games into a series i don't know but um it was more annoying than it than anything uh to, to, to me I, I haven't spent as much time uh belly aching about it because it didn't really affect my ability to play too much but um i don't know tony what, what was was your experience much more than what i described in terms of just annoying stuff here and there or no i definitely say it was on par one thing i did want to point out to while you're saying that I, I remember us i think we were talking about this earlier when um i forget who it was i think it was somebody with ea but they were like you know we'll gladly delay this game if uh yeah. if we had to yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, maybe they should have done that but anyway yeah um, yeah, mine was pretty bad. Like I had, I think I had like two or three Drax running around on the ship at one point. Um, <laughs> I had, yeah, like, you know, floating uh, enemies that were just in the air. Like, you know, they were still active and still firing. It wasn't like they were dead. But, and I had that, the glitching through the map thing. Um, so Broken quests here and there too, which all of I, us have seen pieces of, I'm sure. So that I didn't have so much of an issue with. I think the biggest issue I had with it since I was on a PS4, um, and I've been doing this a lot with the newer generation systems, is just pausing it instead of saving and shutting down. I'll let it power down itself and go into uh, power save mode. Yeah. So I can just, you know, once I boot the console back up, I can jump back in. And this is the first game where every time I did that, it would actually freeze when I reloaded the game. So I technically had to reload the game every time. Mm. And that's the only game I've ever seen do that with the, you know, I don't know what that feature is called, the, you know, restart feature or whatever it is. Mm. But I didn't, I, and I, I wouldn't consider anything I had game breaking necessarily, but it was, like you said, by far the buggiest out of any of those games. Yeah. And it was it was more disappointing than anything. I, I didn't get the foaming at the mouth stuff, and Chris, I'm sure you'll have something to say about that. But I have to say, in fairness, it was pretty buggy, but it wasn't like hair-pulling stuff. Um, I, I had to reload a few things, but I've, I've seen worse. I'm not saying that that makes it okay, <laughs> but I, I have seen worse. What was your experience, Chris? I mean, you, you primarily played it on the PC, which is uh, different to Tony and I. Yeah, um, it there were a lot of minor things. Uh, there wasn't anything really game breaking. There was nothing on the level of um, like what I encountered with Skyrim, where you just couldn't finish uh, large quest chains because of a bug. But there were some things that were um, pretty broken. Uh, there was an entire mission on EOS, well, not a mission, but a, like a side task uh, to collect some satellites, um, and the console that gave you the quest would have a little quest indicator, a little exclamation point over it to show you that if you, if you interacted with it, you'd get a mission. Um, and on interacting with it, it was just blank. There was no, there was no messages on the terminal. Um, that actually got patched in the first patch. Yeah. I went back and was able to start that quest, not even complete it, but start it. 
Um, I had an issue with one of the architects where it just refused to come down out of the sky after the second stage of the battle, which was pretty frustrating because that was the second time I fought it. <laughs> and as a, a low-level character on Insanity, that was not a very easy fight. Um, so I, I uh, ended up beating it on the third try after that bug. Uh, and my favorite... Well, okay, I have two favorite bugs. The one was on um, Elodin. Uh, PB got incapacitated during a battle <laughs> and just would not get back up. Hmm. And uh, I, I tried to revive her and it, it didn't work. Um, I'm going to actually, I'm going to tangent here really quickly. I had a couple instances where Drac got incapped and just <laughs> remained standing. Uh, those were pretty funny. Yeah. But PB would not get up. And even after I fast traveled across the map, PB was still showing up as dead, like miles away from me where she was, where she fell down originally. Uh, <laughs> Best bug that I that I had though, I walked into the crew quarters on the ship, and started up a conversation with Jal, and all of a sudden we teleported across the ship into his his regular room. I forget what the tech lab uh, the or tech wherever. Lab. <laughs> and it we ju- we jumped an entire like upstairs and across the ship into a completely different room, and the game kind of freaked out and like went black for a bit as this was happening. He starts talking and it goes black, and loads and then resumes and we're in a different room. So that was my favorite one. But nothing really, uh, nothing game-breaking, just annoying stuff. Yeah. Did either of you get the corkscrew rider neck thing happen when he just head just turned like in a really unnatural way, like exorcist style? I don't think so, but I've I've definitely seen that. (laughs) Um, Actually, one thing that uh, Chris was mentioning, I forgot to bring this up. I think one of the more frustrating uh, bugs that I ran into, it was kind of similar to what Chris was going through with that PB uh, glitch, but I'd have a lot of times where I'd start up a conversation with somebody and somebody in my squad would also be talking, but like they weren't in the nearest vicinity. Like I ran ahead of them and they were behind. So they'd be speaking and you could like hear them far off in the distance, but it like didn't bring them in so it was really yeah that was that was opium. annoying yeah some sometimes yeah. you couldn't really hear their part of this conversation because they made they made the the distance of their voice like sort of accurate but <laughs> it wasn't you, you remember in the first mass effect game if if someone piped into a conversation it would actually cut it would Tune actually in. change camera <laughs> right. so you never had to worry about being able to hear them well yeah anyway i i had that same stuff happen tony and i'm sure i missed more than a few uh pieces of context and conversations as, as a result of this and it actually is a little bit annoying because mass effects is a game where your choice of squad mates will sometimes change those reactions you know right um that multiple playthrough stuff is is pretty interesting like you know t- having jaw with you for example on um worlds with you know a lot of uh, angara for example opens up a lot of uh, interesting reactions and stuff and but you can't always hear them <laughs> because of that problem so um, you know, I, I was so, in, I don't know about YouTube, but I was so inured by all the controversy and videos that by the time I played the game, you know, two or three weeks after launch, I, I just didn't really notice a lot of the stuff that people were complaining about anymore. Um, yeah, it's the worst facial animation they've done yet. Yes, it's a backward step. No, I don't understand what possible excuse there can be for that. So I, I but, can give you the possible excuse if yeah, you want it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> if you've got a theory. No, well, not a theory. I was actually reading into it, um, or I think I was watching a video on it. And apparently, and I, and I believe this, EA was getting money hungry, so they wanted to outsource the facial animations to another company outside of you know the develop the main yeah. development team. So they were like they were perfect. You know, I, you know the the alien animations seemed fine. I didn't have any issues with those. But I guess they said it was it was the same 
outsourced company that was doing all of it. So for whatever reason, with the humans, they were using the they were basing it off the, the alien animations, which obviously, since they're not human, it looks a lot different. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Whether you know, yeah, whether or not that's true, that's the one excuse yeah. I guess I heard. Well, look, the the easiest explanation for why a game company didn't do something during development properly is that they're cheap. That's always the easiest excuse. So I I, I don't have any trouble believing that at all. I don't I don't have to. You don't have to go to ill intent or. You know them them wanting to make women look ugly or any of the other th- theories that you've heard <laughs> out there. Although that you know there are some pretty ugly ass female characters in the in this game, um, but there's also some pretty normal looking people too. I don't know. I uh, but yeah, in the end, I, I just sort of shrugged and got on with it. And quite a few other egregious stuff has been fixed. That that I don't know if you two have seen the footage about what the eye shading does, the difference it makes. It's fucking crazy how much of a difference it makes. You know, the, the, eyes. The, the pure white gleaming eyes versus the, the, the eyes that actually have a bit of shading to them, which is closer to real life. The difference oh, you that, mean that in makes. In the character selection. Yeah. When you, oh, you know. Well, just or even in comp dialogue conversation, like when you see the side by side comparison of, of eyes that are pure white versus the shaded ones, which looks like real eyes, it's uncanny how less demonic they look. So. <laughs> Some of those little tweaks have been uh, very, very nice, but um, unfortunately, the uh, the effect that PB's lips sometimes have, where where she goes like a uh, little trumpet effect with her lips, has not been fixed. And more than once during the game, when she was talking, it was a little bit immersion breaking to see her look like she was playing a trumpet uh, <laughs> in the middle of a conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was able to get past it, and in the end, it didn't stop me being in the game. Although it will stop me completing at least a couple of quests that are just broken, and I assume we'll need a patch. Um, so, I, I think probably the the number one area that I had the most problems with in terms of in, enjoying the game com- compared to the, the the previous series, or where you could even say that there's you know the the slide from the quality levels that we saw in three have either continued or not entirely been corrected is in the areas of writing um there's some stuff about the writing in this game that was fine there's some stuff about the writing in this game and the dialogue and that was awful it was a pretty mixed bag i don't know if one of you have already used that i think chris you've already used the term mixed bag but i'm stealing it here to to describe the writing uh i mean for you tony was this was this uh on par with some of the better writing or or was it just uneven to you i'd say i guess mixed bag is the way to look at it the the best it really is because i'm trying to think like there was well the whole cat story like storyline and all of them and the motivations behind the archon and all that like i i didn't really like that i didn't think that was well done but the whole exploration and even the remnant i thought was pretty good the character Mm -hmm. development was really hit or miss um you know, some of them I thought were great, and then others were. So I, I, I can see where the mixed bag comes in through. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's and and if it's not even you know the dialogue necessarily um, in certain conversations, some of the stuff. I, I think I'm sure this quote is going to come out, but the whole um, Liam quote, like I think he's mad because I shot him in the face. I shot him in the like, face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does the tone of the game does jump around quite quite it, a bit. It does, yeah. You know, like the. A massive in a massive at game the stakes are meant to be high, right? That's pretty right. much a universal thing. And yeah, there's always been um there's always been humor, but uh a lot a lot of the 
a lot of the tone of this game sometimes didn't quite fit with the you know this the, the the whole galaxies at stake type tone that you get at times and yeah it's in this case it's a cluster and it's the future of humanity so on and so forth but yeah every once in a while how serious the uh what was going on and and people's um reactions to it were a bit disconnected um how about you chris uh what's your thoughts on the writing generally i mean mixed bag covers it yeah yeah i uh yeah. there was there there were some i mean the characters some of them were really good some of them were not that interesting um same thing with the dialogue you know there were some really cheesy uh kind of like cliched sci-fi type lines in there yeah, um yeah. like like dumb one-liners and things uh as tony mentioned the the main plot was a little bit weak with the with the cat um most of most of the good stuff was from side content or things that were not really contained within the main story yeah, which i, I yeah. mean i guess when you think of it that way that's that kind of is is indicative of the overall quality if yeah if the best stuff is in the in the side details and the the yeah. little bits and pieces then you kind of have a problem my favorite writing and most of my favorite moments were contained in the loyalty missions and i'm sure you two had similar experiences to that so definitely um, yeah i mean actually just to kind of piggyback off of what chris said i i didn't think about it until he really said it but i think part of the reason why i spent so much time on the side quest even after you know, I, I didn't finish the game as soon as I could. I went and did all the side missions before I knew that final mission was going to happen, even though you didn't have to. But even after the game finished, I did all the side quests and I just explored the worlds because I actually did really like some of those the side quests. Even some of the tasks that were really trivial had some pretty cool stuff to it. Like there's one where you have to activate um, some monitoring stations, I think. And it's um, I'm, I'm assuming we're going into spoiler territory here. Oh, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but there's, you know, you're activating some of these uh, beacons, and I guess while you're, you know, it's to scan the planet or whatever, and it was done by this guy that I, I presume is dead, but his son was leaving him recordings, I guess, from the Milky Way, like, giving him encouragement. Yep. And, you know, he's like, you know, I'm sorry, and, you know, you're, the character's like, I don't understand what, what this message is, but he kept, like, going into it and saying, like, you know, like, I miss you, and then finally you realize, you know, the kid's like, I'm dying, and I'll never see you again, kind of, and you're like, it, it stuck, like, you know, it was... It hits you pretty hard, but I mean that was just side stuff. Like you didn't even need to see that, or uh, I guarantee a lot of people probably wouldn't. But a lot of yeah, but that was just one example. I think a lot of the the side quest stuff was really yeah. good. One of the minor side quests, and we can get into this later, actually turned out to have a, a fairly interesting impact on the end mission as well that we can get into. And some I know, I've talked to talked to a few people who played the game who weren't even aware of it. Uh, and but it was it was interesting and and when I was first playing it I didn't really have I I just thought it was another one of these tasks and it turned out to be a bit more significant than it sounded I I also uh, I don't know about if you two had this but uh, after the first couple architect missions I started to become skeptical whenever I was on a new world about oh I wonder if this will be the architect mission <laughs> oh, yeah. you know I I I I I lost my lunchbox can you go out into the wilderness and find it <laughs> and then you get there and oh it's the architect um chris i i think i was sort of uh looking at your messages somewhere where you were playing on kadara and uh you were encountering the uh the 
what what was the what was the name for the architect that the crazy guy who was worshiping was calling it old Jim or something like that? Oh, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it, was, it was something something I, ridiculous. I don't remember. It was something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. the guy was trying to worship it. And yeah, he was but dead. You, you could see it coming a mile away at that point if he'd played the other planets. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I um I I I'm with you guys. The the writing was a bit uneven. The 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 uh, and, and, you know, that was my initial fear is that the main plot was going to be the weakest part. And it was and it it does uh, it, it doesn't hurt the game per se, because there's a lot there is a lot of side content. I mean, prob- the game's probably what half side content, half main content. At yeah. least. Yeah. And if we, yeah. Just to go back to the writing real quick. I think the the cat plot line, I think we all saw that, you know, the twist coming a mile away um, and. They're they're just not menacing. Like they're not. I'm, you're never gonna get back to the Reapers. I'm sorry. You're never gonna have that level of no fear. Like, I just like I I was like oh cap more things to shoot yeah. at. Like there was never any fear of them. Like I was just like yeah they're just something else to shoot. Like there's nothing compelling about them. I feel yeah yeah actually well, they're, 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 sorry go sorry ahead, Chris <laughs> there really is I mean that's the the main problem with the cat is there really is nothing interesting about them. Hmm. I mean if you compare to Mass Effect the first Mass Effect you have. Uh, the Geth and Saren, and there's good reasons why both of those are important to other characters in the story. Yep. Saren, you actually get to watch him betray your companion on the very first mission, um, and he's, you know, he's a specter, like a uh, basically an elite agent who's got permission from the council to do whatever he wants. Um, so you kind of get a sense of what he is and why he's powerful and why he's dangerous. And then you get the explanation from Tally all about the Geth and what the deal is with them and why AI research is illegal. With the Ket, there's no connection at all. Um, the yeah. Archon is the bad guy because he's bad and he sounds evil and he has a deep voice. Yeah. And the Ket are bad because they shoot you when you've run into them for the first time, which isn't even that outrageous of a reaction on first content if you're a contact sorry on first contact if you really think about it yeah um so there there's just nothing to them they're just things to shoot yep yeah it's like somebody was like all right we're doing another mass effect game you guys can you work on a uh a faction of villains and get back to me <laughs> like uh it, it, it almost I, I know this would have been kind of cliched, but it almost would have helped things if the Archon had been more directly responsible for Alec Ryder's death at the beginning instead of it. I mean, yes, the sacrifice was important to the story, but you, you if you're if you're meant to be to fear and hate the Archon, they don't do a good as good a job uh, setting that up as as they could have. And. You know, they they certainly don't have the unknowable, unfathomable, monstrous, evil thing going for them that the Reapers had. You know, that like they 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 do have the insistence that well, you know, this is a gift, <laughs> and you don't understand it. But beyond that, uh, they're they're just uh, you know, and the, and the fact that they're all the same and faceless doesn't help either. You know, I I, I, found, they... I found them pretty blah. Yeah, I think if they tried to, maybe if they can expand upon the whole gift thing, if they can actually make that, you know, add some context to it to make it like actually think like, huh, maybe, you know, like not actually just think it's just an absolutely evil thing. I'm sure it is, but maybe they'll try yeah. to give some kind of other sides to the story. But um, yeah, I think the other thing they were trying to do with the Archon is that, you know, he's always one step ahead. Like you thought you had him and he's like, no, I've done this and you've walked into my trap. But it was never like, I never felt like I did in previous games. I was like, shit, like, how are we going to get? You know, like, how are you going to get beyond this? It's like, okay, I know we're going to defeat. Like, it's just the way the writing and everything was in the game. It's like, all right, I know yeah. we're going to overcome this. 
Yeah. There was no tension to it at all. Yeah. Um, sort of tying into our thoughts on the writing, uh, Tony, what did, what did you think of the setting of Helios uh, generally? Like, it did it feel felt... new uh, and interesting? Was there were there aspects of it you liked more than others? I mean, the cat are the cat are actually kind of interesting in that it's implied that they are from outside of Helios. But what about Helios itself and the how and the uh, the worlds and the peoples? I think it. The, the worlds uh, in the, the new galaxy, it definitely feels new and alien. So I like that. It's, it's exploring something completely unknown. It's not like Uncharted Space and Milky Way where you know you can go, oh, this is Uncharted, but I, I can go back home. We have a, you know, a plot point to get back. Or not a plot point, but, you know, we can get back to some other system that we know. It's completely alien. I think one of the, the best things about this game is actually landing on Habitat 7 for the first time. Mm. That, I thought that was a really good sequence. Just, you know, looking at all the, the plant life and everything on there, it just looked completely alien. Yeah. Um, so I think they did great on that end. Yeah. Um, the aliens, the the. Um, wow. Well, why am I blanking on the new species? <laughs> I mean, they're not really that interesting. Obviously, I can't. Remember, I couldn't think of the name. Um, <laughs> it's and I, I get it. Like you know, it's it's basically one new species in the you know the galaxy. Um, not counting the cat. So it was kind of a little disappointing on that end. Not trying to make you know excuses for Bioware or the, you know anyone, but they already had to throw in a whole bunch of other species from the Milky Way to create, you know, and then to create a new one on top of that. That was fine. I didn't really think much of the Angara. I I'd hope they flesh them out a little bit better. I didn't really find them all that interesting. But so I guess to summarize, I'd say the, the planets and the actual atmosphere, I guess you could say, of each, you know, cluster or system felt good. The the actual, the new species I'm a little torn on. So it's, it's kind of a mix. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Uh, the setting itself was mostly good i I liked the helios cluster i really liked the whole um plot subplot i guess really well it was it was main main ish plot uh with the scourge um which didn't really i mean you encountered it a lot and there were bits of you know you could find satellites or things that had been destroyed by the scourge and you could see the after effects Mm. Um, so that was really interesting to me because it was some kind of um threat that no one really knew about and it also seemed to have tied back some way into the um the dropped dark energy plot from mass effect 2 yeah and there's still even after completing the game and getting an idea of what the scourge actually is or you know having that revealed towards the end i think that plot line is still potentially open yeah. Um, for, for further for expansion. Yeah. 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 And certainly the whole implications about, well, who's powerful enough to have unleashed a, right. a weapon like this is, is interesting. <laughs> yes. It's some kind of weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the planets themselves, I didn't really like most of them. Um, you know, uh, Eos was a desert world and Elodin was a desert world and Kadara was not quite a desert world it was like an <laughs> off desert with some some more water um uh, vold is that what it is vold yep. yeah was a a i mean let's get real it was a desert world but it was just an ice world <laughs> uh Varl was by far the most interesting planet which is which came as kind of a surprise to me because when i first landed there i was f- really frustrated by it yeah <laughs> uh, my my first reaction was oh my god what is this i can't take the the nomad out but that ended up being the most interesting planet because it had multiple levels um, and it had a lot of wildlife and it had a lot of structures and it was all um what's the word 
Uh, you, you had to go on foot everywhere. Yeah. Um, so unlike all the other planets, they're just kind of these open world, deserty things with, you know, stuff to interact with. Havarl was a little, uh, a bit more compact. A bit um, dense. Yeah, and it had the whole kind of twilight aesthetic going on, tons mm-hmm. of wildlife, which you should have gotten XP to kill, but that's another story. <laughs> um, so setting-wise, it was, you know, it was mostly good, uh, yeah. but it could have been more interesting, I think. Yeah. And then character-wise or, or species-wise, I hated the Angara. I thought they were really boring and lame. Um, the cat just were kind of, you know, like we talked about, they were kind of not very noteworthy. Um, but you know, there's, there's room to expand on all of it in the future. Yeah. So I won't the, write any of it am off. Am I the only one who found that the Angara seemed like, you know, typically in sci-fi, um, because there's way too much allegory in sci-fi an alien species will tend to be about like one particular personality trait or stereotype. And they, you know, and that just gets hammered home endlessly. Whereas the Angara seemed like a conscious choice to, to make, like, to seem like they were more multifaceted. But it, for me, it just meant that I, I find it a lot harder to define them, you know. And and Jal is is seems like kind of atypical. So you can't even look at him as as like a defining representative of his species per se. So um, I I don't I don't know that I can. I don't know that I really understand the Angara any more than I did when I first encountered them, and that's despite the fact that the game has an awful lot of content th- there, and some of it you have to look for. Um, like there, there's actually quite a lot of information buried around in codexes and things on Aya, etc. But uh, yeah, like just just the fact that they have like different accents and things <laughs> like that seemed to me like oh they're trying to make them seem really varied and human-like i guess in a, in a way um bit of a left turn here what did we think of the brother sister mechanic in the game i mean when i first found that out i thought oh that's that's kind of interesting um how did how did you find that tony in- interesting novel have you ever encountered something like that in a game or an rpg for that matter before yeah actually you know thinking back on it i remember you know some of the the pre-hype about it was you know even if you choose male or uh female uh, rider, you know, the other one will actually still have an effect on the story, but then yeah. you play through most of it and they're in a coma. So I'm like, I, it, for so long, I was like, okay, they're pro- is this going to be DLC or something? So I like completely waved it off. And I'm like, whatever, this is never going to amount to anything. And then obviously you have that mission where she finally wakes, he or she finally wakes up yeah, and you actually take control of her. Um, and I think they actually did a pretty good job of that, that whole section of you just having that pistol and not having any abilities or anything like that, really, for the most part. That was handled. But as, as far as the <laughs> – excuse me, I guess to get back to your question, I, I think it was handled okay. I mean, it, it definitely felt like there was – they need to expand on that more, and I think that's going to be a challenge for them going forward. But Yeah, it, I, it was, yeah I'm really curious how they're going to handle that in the next games. <laughs> but yeah, they're going to be able to be like a squad mate now, now that they're awake, but, you know, and I think it'll be real, really interesting because the thing is, is it's like it's it's different from anything they've done in the past because it's supposed to be your sibling that you should know everything about, but you really don't. No. You know, it, it's kind of hard to make that connection there. Yeah. But it, I, I think they handled it oh, okay. I mean, the, the whole coma plot thing was a little... Now, like I said, like I completely forgot about it. Never expected to see. In this case, it was my sister, so I never expected to see her really. Maybe her wake up at the end of the end credits or something, you know, 
I was I was kind of half expecting it would turn into a take on what happened in Mass Effect 3 with the Caden slash Ashley character where they were infirmed for a large portion of the game and you constantly had to visit them in in the hospital. Thankfully, right. thankfully they didn't, but yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Um yeah, I mean, I pretty much feel the same way about it. There was there was a scene at the beginning when Sam gets hooked up to the, the sibling's brain. You have a dialogue with him. So I thought there might be more of that kind of stuff, and then there just wasn't. There was a long period of silence, mostly because I did all of the side missions that I could possibly do before doing any given main quest. Yeah. So it took me a really, really long time to work through to the point where they actually woke up. Mm-hmm. In my case, it was Sarah. Um, yeah, the... The mission where you you know you get a a pistol and you have to fight your way to the AI uh, control Node, yeah. center or whatever to to make sure Sam is still good. Um, I panicked when that happened because <laughs> here I am on insanity with a character that has none of the skills I've been using this whole time, none of the weapons. Um, I had been using the the mod the weapon mod for vintage heat sinks, so I never ran out of ammo. Yeah. Um, and now all of a sudden I'm stuck with this pistol that does basically no damage and has limited ammo. Mm. <laughs> Thankfully, that segment was pretty short, but it, it ended up being pretty cool. Yeah. Um, as you're watching all of these people around you kind of help you fight off the cat and, and sacrifice themselves so you can complete the mission. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a little deceptive of them to say, at least at this point in regards to just this game, that the, that the other twin is going to have some kind of impact on the galaxy because they really didn't. Yeah. Um, aside well, from the, the just, final mission. Another question for the other two of you, because I, I'm not 100% clear on this. I, I'm assuming that whichever twin is the lead twin is the twin that was ex-Alliance, and whatever twin is the secondary twin is the one that was the archaeologist or whatever, regardless of... Uh, regardless of, is, that, is that true, or is, is Sarah Ryder the, automatically the, the archaeologist and Scott's automatically the... The soldier, ex-soldier. It sounds like Chris and I were both um, Scott or the male rider, so I'm assuming you were too. Yes, I was. Yeah. Oh well, then I, I guess none of us know. I, I honestly don't know. No, no idea. Because it would be yeah, kind of weird. It, it would be kind of weird if the one that was in <laughs> cryo was actually the one that had the most, you know, combat experience and stuff. But now they did. Um, they did that for Fallout Four, so. Yeah, they did. If yeah. you pick the female character in Fallout 4, you're a lawyer. <laughs> and if yeah. you pick the male, you're ex-military. You're, you're ex-military, right. Yeah, well, then I assume that must be the case because, uh, I mean, short of being Indiana Jones, I don't know how an archaeologist could have pulled off half the stuff that Ryder did in, in that game if they hadn't had some Alliance uh, experience. Um, getting to the new characters, I mean, uh, one of the one of the big things about this new series was, you know, uh, this is a game that's, a lot of the uh, a lot of the fun of the game and a lot of people's expectations about what a Mass Effect game is is around the squad mates and how they're developed and how interesting they are or aren't and who are your favorites and romances and all that stuff. So um, now, much like in the first game, it's a smaller list of people and the trend the trend in terms of size of the squad uh, um, crew tends to go up <laughs> over the course of these series. Generally speaking, at least at least in terms of squad mates, you can take on the mission. There was only six you could take in this game. God knows how many there'll be in the next one. Um, uh, Tony, I mean, uh, who 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 were some of your favorites? Uh, were there any that were underwhelming? Uh, did they measure up to the last game? 
or you know what how uh, you know given this is a game that's very much um, that the the squad made experience is very much a big part of it what are your thoughts um, first of all Drac all the way best, <laughs> best squad made of all time there was 100 percent agree yeah there was that that loyalty mission or I don't even know if it was the loyalty I think it was part of the loyalty mission where you guys were or where you're you know just you know beating everybody up in that bar that was <laughs> yeah one of the greatest Mass Effect scenes I've ever seen that was. That was great. So Drac is definitely on point. An older Krogan that really seems to be on death row. Mm-hmm. Um, once you hear everything that's ailing about him, but at the same time he does actually care about um, Kesh. Uh, it's I think he's a very well written character. Uh, let's see, Core is kind of hit or miss. I mean, I, I get that she's all uptight and you know, up you know, uh, like by the book kind of thing. But you also see the whole kind of botany side of her and something she enjoys doing. Um, she does obviously have a very interesting past being with the, uh, the Asari commandos. Yeah. So that's, I think that's pretty interesting to explore. Um, let's see. Liam is so forgetful. Never took him on missions. I, I couldn't, st- like just listening to the, the, you know, I shot him in the face thing. I was like, I can't take you seriously anymore. <laughs> um, so that was done. I think for the most part, they're good. Vetra was, seemed like she was pretty interesting. Her sister was kind of annoying, but I understood why they were doing that. Yeah. Uh, um, well, I was missing jaw. I really didn't care for um <laughs> who am i missing Joel uh, was just there for P- the female fans like yeah. that's, that's his whole purpose yeah P- pb obviously pb yeah definitely she actually surprised me i felt like they were really trying to push her in some of the the pre-marketing campaign i was like she's never going to live up to um to we are and but she was a pleasant surprise like i really liked her character a lot more than i thought i would yeah. Um, even though she kind of tricked me, but we won't we won't get into that here. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, I think so for the squad mates, I think uh, it was generally positive. The only ones I really didn't like again were Jaw and uh, and Liam. That I, again were the ones that I really didn't like. Yeah. Um, but and I wanted to mention too. I think they did a pretty good job with the NPCs, like you know, with Director Tan and all that. Like I, I hated him yep. for the most part, but and I liked that you could actually tell him off. Like I wasn't asking for your permission, or I wasn't asking for you to approve of what I just did. Yeah. Uh, and I think that in you know Cash um, and some of the other people on the Nexus, I think, and for the most part, most of the like outcasts and all that, I think they did a pretty good job with yeah. uh, that. So character-wise, I think a net positive overall. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Definitely some setbacks, but overall pretty good. Chris, uh, characters for you, and feel free to throw in some of the NPCs and and um, plot related characters and and ship crew, secondary ship crew for that matter. Oh yes, man, the ship. I I wasn't even thinking about them, but uh, okay. So there, I have. There's two categories for me. It's the combat utility and the interesting characters. <laughs> um, by far the most useful characters were Vetra and Drac because they're incredibly tanky and they have good abilities. Yeah. Um, and that was a must. Like I needed somebody who could survive in combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as most interesting, I found Drac and PB to be the most interesting. Uh, I didn't romance PB, which is weird. I kind of, I started to feel bad about that towards the end of the game. There, there were so many uh, opportunities to flirt with her, mm-hmm. like even on her loyalty mission and up to the point where I felt like I had closed that path off. It still was presenting me with chances um <laughs> Liam Liam had possibly the best mission in the game with his loyalty mission so I kind of regret not taking him along a little bit more I'd like to see what he does but I kind of wrote him off as boring at the beginning too hmm. uh, so I might be wrong about that but uh Cora was my choice for romance she was 
eh. I, she started off seeming like that kind of strict by the book type of person, but she ended up not really being that type. And I think maybe that's because of her Asari background. And just if you look at the way Asari kind of develop over their lifespan, um, you know, when they're young, they're kind of wild and crazy and they become yeah. strippers and mercenaries and all this stuff. And then they settle down later. So I think maybe that influenced her to where she had the military background that made her a little bit more rigid, but wasn't really ever too serious about things like a young Asari wouldn't be all that mm. serious. Mm. Um, Jal was boring. I, his whole thing about like, I'm going to tell you about all my emotions because I'm emotional and I'm going to make your panties wet. I was like, all right, well, I'm a dude, so <laughs> I'm, I don't need that kind of like, I don't need somebody to empathize with my, my character and, you know, to give her sensual love or whatever that yeah. he was there for. Uh, he was a poor substitute for Garrus. He sucked in combat. He died every time I brought him along. Yeah. <laughs> so I really just don't like it. I don't like Vangara. I don't like Jal. Um, who's the other one that I'm missing? Uh, Vetra. Vetra? Oh, yeah, Vetra. Uh, Vetra, I don't know about her, really. Um, I, I didn't honestly care that much about her story. She was not, she was. She didn't have military background. She was kind of in over her head, but she was, like, tough and capable. So she was, like, decent. Um, I brought her along for her for her effectiveness, but she didn't have all that many good conversations. The best times I had were when I had PB and Drac in my squad. Their banter was fantastic. Yes, just the two of them. Very good. Um, and then like shipmates, uh, there was a pilot and he was a Solarian and he got into like a he was all upset about Gil tinkering with the ship or something. Um, I sided with Gil because Gil was right, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> uh, there was yeah. And it, I mean, he he just he, he didn't leave any impact on me. Um, there was Suvi, who I thought was really adorable, yeah. with her like dissertation on dirt or whatever that she tries to send by email. Like it's filtered out as spam, and I actually like <laughs> audibly like aw when that happened to no one in particular. Uh, the doctor was Marjorie Tyrell. That was like yeah. the last impression that she gave me. Oh, this is the chick from Game of Thrones. Um, no no. Uh, Dr. Chakwas, by any means. And then there was Gil, who just, like, ran the ship. He was he was kind of laid back. Uh, he, I, I liked his attitude about things. It reminded me of myself, where he's just like, ah, oh, you know, we'll just, we'll fudge the numbers here, and we'll fix it later. Um, he was good at poker and all that. Uh, he was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I found something interesting. There, there was a lot of, um, I I got I shared your guys uh, sort of meh about Liam just uh, first up like I, his background didn't make any sense to me either like he he it seemed like he went to Andromeda because he was bored which for a human <laughs> seems kind of <laughs> like a weird choice you know uh, an Asari or a Krogan maybe that have lived for hundreds of years that might seem like more of a a, a, a straightforward choice, but yeah. So I, I didn't really buy a lot of Liam's backstory, um, but I did enjoy his loyalty mission. I agree with you, Chris. That was one of the best missions in the game. Just really, really fun. Yeah, that, I, I agree with Chris. I completely forgot about it until, yeah. uh, until just, he mentioned it. So don't make it think it makes it makes up for his character, but it was yeah, still fun. Yeah, I, I found him more annoying than anything, and I did take him here and there just to mix things up. And there was some interesting dialogue, but a lot of it was just. A lot of it was just more macho 
BS. So um, one thing that I found that they seem to be doing an awful lot was a conscious uh, decision to just subvert stereotypes all the time. Um, and some of it worked and some of it didn't. Like, like Vetra is a female uh, Turian, right? And uh, female Turians were practically invisible in the in the original trilogy. Like, how many can we count? I, I remember one, and she was in the DLC for Omega. I can't even remember her name, but uh, she was an interesting character. But, you know, th there weren't many other female Turians that I can recall. Um, this was an opportunity to have a female Turian character, but instead we end up getting a Turian, a female Turian who has absolutely no connection to Turian life. So she provides you absolutely no insight into being a Turian that I can, as far as I can tell. So, you know, it's kind of a lost opportunity there, I guess. There, there was nothing about Vetra to me that seemed Turian in any way. Like you, re you literally could have made Vetra a human character and she would have been exactly the same, which is, seems kind of weird to me. Um, whereas with PB, the more interesting thing was PB was actually a fairly young... Um, yeah, at least she you, she gave the impression of being a fairly young Asari, um, but she behaved like a Salarian all the time. I, I don't know if that's making sense. Like she was very impatient and stuff. She like you would have expect you wouldn't have expected a, a an Asari to approach things a lot of the same ways, which I, I found was kind of interesting. Um, Drac was an opportunity to see a Krogan sort of at the end of his life which was 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 interesting i actually i can i i don't know did you guys find yourself comparing him at all to rex i i, I guess that's unavoidable yeah a little bit <laughs> a yeah. little bit <laughs> he still does separate himself enough which he does. I appreciate. He does. yeah no absolutely he does i mean just the fact that um he has a paternal instinct <laughs> it's, uh, was was kind of interesting. Um, and, uh, and, you know, obviously Rex wanted to improve conditions for his people as well. But, you know, Drac was sort of a, a different take. And I loved having him in combat as well, too. Um, Cora didn't really interest me too much. Um, there's certainly potential for the character. There, there seemed like there was a lot more at the beginning. Uh, I found most of the, the crew to be pretty... Um, you know, interesting. Worth talking to at least. At least, um, interesting that they threw in the fact that uh, Suvi was both a scientist and religious as well. You know, I guess that's Bioware ticking another diversity box, eh, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I guess. Got to have your token uh, God-fearing woman on the ship, <laughs> if not <laughs> Ashley, than Suvi. Yeah, exactly. She didn't. She didn't preach it. You know what I mean? Or like accept. You know, or expect you to accept her beliefs or anything. So at least I can respect that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and I and I did I did find a lot of the Nexus character stuff to be pretty interesting. I shared your uh, sort of um, dislike for the Sloan character, Chris, but. At the same time, I didn't really care for Reyes either, <laughs> so in the in the end, uh, I wasn't really sorry with with my decision. I found, I, I don't know, I actually had a visceral reaction once he turned out to be the uh, and spoilers, obviously the the charlatan that he'd been jerking me around for like five or six missions, wasting my time. So I was actually kind of look actually pissed off, not just role playing Ryder being pissed off. So uh, I I. I think that'll be kind of interesting. Who here had Reyes actually survive? Or well, Tony, I don't know who you picked in that uh, in that area. So I guess no. I, guess I well, because I think we were talking about this the other night, but yeah. I didn't know that that was 
the choice, the way they presented that. So ah, I, didn't, okay. I didn't know I had it. That was the choice essentially. So no, he, I ended up, um, no shooting the sniper and then shot him in the back. And I have no regrets about that. Okay. So, he, so he'll be dead. Well, I'll, I'll be interested to see, you know, no, he's, he's not dead. He sent me a message. Uh, or oh. sent me an email saying this isn't over. Oh, so he's wounded and pissed off. Okay. So yeah, either so way, was, I was honestly wondering if that was going to come back in the game, but now, you know, yeah. again, spoiler, obviously nothing happened, so that's either going to be a DLC yeah. or a future game. Yeah, well, interesting, <laughs> one, one of the challenges that the previous series has was there were a lot of choices in the first game, right? And those compounded and compounded and compounded. This I have to assume that who's going to be in charge of Kadara and who might be, you know, um, interested in trying to take you out in the second game uh, as a secondary threat, that that's that's going to be interesting to see where that goes. I'll, even though I don't really care for the Reyes character, uh, um, I, I get Sloan, and Sloane is dead in yours, right, Chris? Right. Yeah. Yep. She is super dead. Yeah. I don't care about Honor. I hated her. <laughs> she was like, oh, cool sniper. She's yep. Bye. <laughs> you didn't even hit, hesitate to, to hit the R button there. <laughs> uh, no, I I didn't. I didn't hit the button. I yeah. watched gleefully as the timer ticked down to uh, stop the sniper. <laughs> to take her out. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I I did find some of the politics stuff on the Nexus to be pretty interesting. I I found the Citadel politics stuff in the first few games to be infuriating and awful. Like I hated all the ambassadors and stuff like that, and the and the the counselors and things. But this was pretty interesting. I I actually did. I, and I, I think you were supposed to, to hate Tan. I actually grew to uh, to, to um, sympathize with Addison a lot more over the course of the story, which is pretty, you know, considering how completely bland she and literally stiff she was pre-patch. That was kind of interesting. She, I mean, you could almost call that mission with her college friends almost a loyalty mission. It was kind of odd how they were going <laughs> with that, you know, delving into her personal background and stuff. It was kind of interesting. Um, what did we think of the voice acting? I, I think uh, Chris has expressed his sort of meh reaction to Marjorie Terrell, but um, yeah, uh, Tony, uh, what did what did I mean? And obviously, a lot fewer celebs this time around, eh? You know, uh, no, no real big big names apart from uh, Marjorie Tyrell. Uh, the, I mean, unless there's another one we that uh, someone else can can think of. But uh, how did you think they did? Um. Can, can we say mixed bag again? Is that, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, that's what I expected to hear you say. So, but by all means, um, yeah, again, I think Liam's, I don't know that, I mean, the writing he was given was obviously terrible, but I still didn't like his for the most part. Um, I, I mean, I think the, I think for the most part, they did the best for what they could. Like, I think, um, whoever did, um, male writer did a good job, but some of his writing was just, it was questionable at times for yeah. what was going on. Or how he was reacting to the situation. I mean, I get it. He's young. He's not like a grizzled veteran like Shepard was. Um, but I, I mean, it was it was more or less hit or miss. I, again, but I think it was more kind of going back to what we we're saying about the writing being hit or miss as well. Yeah. Um, I think for the mo- again, I think they did the best w- with what they could. I, um, as far as anyone standing out the best, that that'd be tough. I think P- whoever did PB, you know, played that kind of energetic and. Yep. You know, positive nature really well. Um, I, again, I, I kind of hate like saying this because I feel like I'm just a parrot at this point saying the same thing over and over. But um, I'd say it was a net positive, just a, a, a mixed bag. Yep. Like, I'm not really sure. Chris, any uh, any standouts or lowlights for you in terms of the voice acting? Uh, yeah, Brandon Keener, a.k.a. Garrus, 
was uh, a Salarian, um, a former STG Salarian that you could encounter in a side quest, which was awesome. Oh, that was. Oh, I never it was, that. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I heard as well. I was like, "That's that sounds like Garrus," and I I listened a little bit more carefully, and then I looked it up to confirm. But by the time he'd spoken a, like two or three lines, it was pretty clear that it was him. I think he also did the voice acting for Garrus's father, who yes, appeared in one of the uh, the did. memories. Yep. And Liara played not only herself, or rather the actress that did Liara, but also played a handful of other Asari voices in the game, too. It's interspersed around as well. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I, I, I have a really hard time judging voice acting unless it's really bad. But um, I would definitely say, like, I, I'd agree that PB was, like, a standout. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, she had, like, the mannerisms down like that character was was pretty living if, <laughs> in my opinion yeah uh, did you guys know that her father was an elcor yeah yeah i, I remember getting <laughs> that, that part <laughs> yeah. if you take her with drac enough times you find that you find out a little more information about that wow so, apparently that explains why she's the way she is although i i feel like it would be the opposite i i, I don't know how that works she exactly. rebelled i guess is kind of yeah i think the excuse I, they give that's why she's so so Impatient, rambunctious, all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did like Drax's performance a lot, too. Um, hearing him yell, I am invincible, never got old in, <laughs> in combat. Um, although, you know, just the fact that he was reliable in combat probably helped, too. I, uh, disappointing, just based on, you know, how the last series had so many good sort of voices in the in the villain roles that... The Archon just sounded like some synthesized garbage. Um, I mean, the game really didn't have a strong villain, so not having a strong villain voice actor isn't that surprising. But, yeah, it just felt like something was missing there. Uh, no, Nobody with any big sort of gravitas on the on the villain side, unfortunately. Hopefully they'll step that up. Um, but, yeah, Ket... Uh, the Angara voices were just... They ranged from being, like, really annoying to every, every available Australian and... British actor they could find that they could run through a synthesizer to give him sort of an, an Agara sound was, I don't know. A lot of voices in the game and very few standouts to, to me apart from um, PB and Drac really. Um, as far, I, I might mention quickly, uh, I didn't, I didn't play, uh, I didn't play the, the Sarah Ryder character. Uh, what little I heard from her, the performance was decent. I mean, do you guys agree? I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard her watched much of the other performance. Um, but I, I think both leads were alternate leads. I guess I should say were pretty competent, even though the writing, as you pointed out, Tony was <laughs> pretty ill fitting at times. Um, um, I'd say uh, from, well, again, I, we, none of us played as her, but you know, yeah. from being in the, the male version and just hearing her offside or in her missions seemed okay. Like she, like hearing her like in supposedly in pain towards the end of the mission, yeah, like I didn't really that was it. awful. Her her ability to express pain or excitement was just grating. <laughs> right, but from what I hear, her like her actual dialogue choices, if you actually play as her, from what I hear, is not great. Like it's not, it's yeah. actually worse than male yeah. writer. But that's uh, that's just yeah. hearsay. I, I can't speak to it yeah. well, personally. Part of the course, I, I didn't like Femshep performance, and despite that's the despite the fact that I much enjoy that actress, <laughs> that that performance didn't do anything for me either. Uh, how did you feel about Sarah Ryder, Chris, from what little you've heard? 
Uh, I actually started a playthrough on the PS4 with Sarah. Oh. It, it's it's decent. For, something about it seems a little bit jarring to me. Um, I'd have to play a little bit more to, to gauge it. But from the limited interaction within you know, the, the uh, male rider playthrough is all right. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out on the note of voice acting that these actors, uh, quite a few of them, several of them, uh, actually went into a studio and like recorded sex noises for the romance scenes. And I just think Uh. that that's awkward slash funny. Like, I don't even know what to think of that, (laughs) but, or, or what it's like to be in that position of of a voice actor going in to record those scenes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, gaming mechanics and combat and stuff. Um, I'll say that I like the jetpack a lot. I was a bit skeptical, but um, I, I'm now... I don't know about you two, but I'm now kind of struggling to remember what combat in Mass Effect was like before the jetpack. <laughs> Very uh, horizontal. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I like the... Uh, yeah, I like that it's a lot more vertical, but I hate the fact that they like tried to shove it in your face. Here's another jumping puzzle. Here's another yeah, platform. Yeah, yeah. It, it got, that got old really quick, but I did enjoy the, yeah. the increased mobility. Um, how long did it take you two to realize that you could actually use the Mako, the side of the, sorry, the make, sorry, is it the Mako? Nomad. The Nomad as, as cover and actually like use it as active cover <laughs> and oh, pop I, out of it? I, I did that all the time. I remember yeah. seeing that actually one of the gameplay footages. They're like, you can use it. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm actually going to use, I'm going to use that. So I, I was doing that from, you know, yeah. day one. I, you know, a lot of it was pretty similar. I, I'd, I'd call it an improved version of the combat we've seen from the other games. Uh, Chris, I'm with you. I, I like Concussive Shot better than ever. It used to be sort of zippy. Now it's very straight and to the point. Boom. <laughs> you, you hit it, it hits its target. Uh, they've changed a few things, like um, a couple of the mechanics have changed. Like, uh, singularity has been changed a little bit, too, I think. Uh, uh, Anni- Annihilation, Chris, too? Have they adjusted that one from the previous games, yes. possibly? Yes. Um, it looks like Singularity has kind of taken on the role of Warp, where it has like a bit of a debuff. Yeah. I-, I think. I'm not sure, because I haven't used Biotics. I used almost entirely combat powers and a couple of tech powers in my in my single-player uh, playthrough. Yeah. But uh, What did we think of the, I mean, the profiles system I thought it was, I mean, interesting that, you know, they were, it's interesting. I think that's the best way to put it because I don't know why they would allow you to, to switch between them. So, you know, we're as mm. before, it was like you set into that locked profile and that was it. So, just, I mean, it was interesting just the way another they way of them getting further away from RPG and more towards casual, I guess. Uh, I, I, guess I don't know. I mean, even then, like, I guess I was so ingrained with, the the past versions that like I never really switched between them because I was just Neither so used I. I was just so used to having that one set I mean now that I'm on insanity I'm using it a lot more just to <laughs> actually be able to get through the game but yeah it was yeah. definitely an interesting design choice I don't know. Chris did you use it did you switch I, I never switched profiles not one single time <laughs> um, I I did reassign powers a couple times I switched mm. early on from incinerate to overload because overload is just one of the best all-around powers, um, given how many enemies have shields. Uh, but I, I did not use... I never I never saved a second profile. Um, which, I think, honestly, I, is is my fault. Um, hmm. So, I, I have mixed feelings about the profile system. I think it's a really... I don't want to say good. I think it's a really interesting idea, um, in that you can 
change between whatever powers you want to on the fly, although it does reset your cooldowns on every power if you switch profiles. Uh, so that's kind of not the best. Um, the problem is that I'm so used to playing Mass Effect with the with the power wheel, um, where you pause the game and you assign <laughs> yeah. your powers, yeah. that I just it never occurred to me to to assign any other powers to different profiles and switch to them. Like mm-hmm. I could have had my main profile where I had overload and and uh, turbo charge and concussive shot, yep. and then switch that to a power set with all consumable items like the grenade and the little deployable shield because I specced into all of those powers. I did it to get ranks in the soldier profile, yep. but I just never did. I never it never occurred to me. It wasn't. Yeah, that's, that's how you play Mass Effect. So, so yeah. why would I do that? But I think uh, I'd like to give it another shot and, and try that out a bit more. Yeah, interesting to see what they'll do with it in the second game. You know, will they keep people's reactions to it or uh, ambivalence to, towards it into account? Um, Tony, what do you think of uh, the research and crafting system? <laughs> Honestly, never used it. Um, <laughs> I, I only just now started doing it just to get the N7 armor. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And some of the make upgrades, but beyond that, like I found that I was picking up a decent amount of weapons. Um, yeah. And it honestly, at first, like it, you know, I, I liked the fact that there wasn't a lot of hand holding and tutorials, but at the same time, like I didn't understand any of that stuff at first. So, like, I was like, I don't understand this. There's so much more I could be doing. I'm going to look past this. Like, I have weapons. Yeah. I have armor that are doing me just fine. I have credits I'll- to buy better weapons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris, did you consider it a uh, sort of a failed attempt at emulating the Inquisition sort of model or just a really w- weak system generally? It was pretty weak. Uh, the major failing of the crafting system was that there was way too much going on. Uh, hmm. First, you had to get research and then you had to research a, a level of the weapon. And then once you did that, you had to have three to four different types of components of different rarities. And, you know, by the time that all comes together, you've leveled up to the point where you can unlock the next tier of weapons and all the, you know, your your crafted weapon is useless. So, uh, yeah, the upside to that is that there was such an abundance of resources, especially if you use the the Apex Companion app to, to send those <laughs> missions out in regular intervals. Yeah. I was swimming in resources by yep. the end of the game. I could craft yeah. whatever I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so... I, I used all crafted gear because I wanted to be able to use the the mods. What did they call them? The mod um, extensions. Yeah, mod something like that. Uh, I used those on my my weapons. Like I said earlier, I used the vintage heat sink, so I never had to run out of ammo, which was great. <laughs> um, and then I put some buffs on my armor sets and things. But I didn't end up crafting a variety of things because it presented you with the choice of either Getting a good weapon of one type or getting a bunch of weapons of crappy weapons and being able to try them all. So yeah. as a result, I stuck with the Revenant, which has been in the series since Mass Effect 2, a, a weapon I'm very familiar with, and then a pretty standard sniper rifle, even though it was new. It's, you know, one shot does a lot of damage. It's a sniper rifle. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't try a lot of different things, and, and that was a failure of the crafting system. Um. But yeah, I mean, in short, just, just too much going on. Not enough uh, ability to use all the, the things that were available. I, I never researched anything that wasn't Milky Way. I kind of forgot that the other two menus were there. <laughs> I probably should have checked them out for, oh, for what it's worth. 
that's that's what I was going to say. Uh, the, the other the other point I wanted to make before I sidetracked myself, which I always do. Um, most of the enhancements were not good. Uh, yeah. The weapon enhancements. So there was like one that would make a sticky grenade launcher, and one that would make the projectiles ricochet, and one yeah. that would turn them into plasma bolts, and all of them had some like horrible drawbacks. <laughs> yeah. With... <laughs> so so there's just they were just useless. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Getting into a little bit more spoiler territory, although we've obviously spoiled quite a bit so far. Um, and this is uh, these are some areas I, I'd been dying to talk to someone else about uh, because um, Jen, and, uh, Jen and Goose seems like it, they sort of rushed through the game and didn't cover some of that stuff. Did both of you do the side quest that involved, you know, the cat defectors or, or cat faction fighting with another cat faction? That yes, yep. Yeah, okay. I did that one. Yeah, that was interesting, and it'll be very interesting to see how that ties into the next game. So essentially, you end up sort of coming up with this deal. Now, it, you can turn down the deal. I went for it with the Primus, who appears to be sort of a political figurehead uh, that represents the the, uh, the main Ket Empire, which is elsewhere, uh, giving you a, a backdoor sort of kill code to, uh, to subvert the Archon. Now... I haven't confirmed this, but it seemed like during the last mission there was a section that would have been a lot harder if I hadn't have had that little kill code. Is that your understanding, guys, or is there more to that? That's what, it's, <clears throat> that's what it seemed like, but I did the same thing. I did that. I took the deal. Well, I didn't, but th- at the same time, I didn't play on Insanity, so it didn't necessarily seem any more difficult so i don't know what exactly changes <laughs> by right. that point the game wasn't hard anymore i'll be honest yeah. <laughs> like once i hit uh, once i hit probably level 30 yeah which wasn't that far into the game it got significantly easier after i got out of the nomad right before heading into the building at meridian there seemed to be a very wide open section with a lot of ammo sitting around that sort of looked like it was pre-designed to have a combat take place and it never did so I kind of have to assume that was what I missed out on and skipped as a result of that. Um, but at the end of the game, post-credits, uh, I assume that that Primus sort of looking like, you know, Vader at the end of Empire and then turning away gruffly, I'm assuming that would have happened regardless, right? Because like, that happened for me, yes. Yeah, I, I think that was probably just there. Um, how interesting, you know, like... All three of us are kind of on the same page about the Ket not being terribly interesting. So how are they going to make the Ket Empire, the big bulk of the Ket Empire, coming any more interesting? Who knows? I guess we'll see in the next game. Um, getting to the ending, this is this is probably the thing that I wanted to talk to you guys the most about. Um, the whole Meridian section, I really enjoyed. And the whole time, I got the sense and... Stop me if you felt the same way. I got the sense pretty much the whole time that it seemed like they were trying to prove something, i.e. the makers of the game. Like, it it felt very video gamey, haha. <laughs> it felt like it was culminating towards something. There was a lot going on. There were a lot of callbacks. Everybody turned up to fight at one point, <laughs> which was really fun. Um, I don't know. Am I am I alone here? Did it feel like this was like some like really naked attempt to say, okay, yeah, we can do an ending properly? Because it was for for what was a very sort of a game that had its faults and was uh, middle, you know, had some mixed bag elements to it. I did enjoy the ending sequence a lot, and it it's just kind of remarkable to me how. I didn't enjoy anything about the ending to Mass Effect 3. No, like nothing of that ending sequence. It was enjoyable at all. And I pretty much like this 
start to finish. Uh, like to, for you, Tony, did it sort of hit a lot of uh, enjoyable be- beats or do you think yeah, it's it, just a coincidence <laughs> that it worked it, so well? It did. Well, first off, I got to point out uh, coming into the coming into Meridian, Meridian and the Dyson Sphere, mm. that was – I remember I think we were talking about – or Chris brought it up at one point when we he first started the game that it reminded him a lot of Halo 4. <laughs> that that – that sequence, I was like, yeah, this seems a lot like Halo 4 coming into the Dyson Sphere. Not that Halo revolutionized that or invented it, but yeah, um, I thought I'd just want to point that out. But um, to your question, yeah, no, I thought it was it was very well. It was tense. Like I was, I was hoping like we were going to get the the you know the Hyperion back in one piece, and that it would you know we'd make sure everything was fine, all the yeah. the colonists and everyone were fine on it. It was tense. Um, I think it, it ended well. Like I loved having all the fleets, or not the fleets, but the you know, <laughs> fleets. I know what you mean, though. Like everybody turning up to fight at the end, sort of thing. Right. Like it was done. It right. was yeah. It was it was tense, and I think the the best thing that it did that three didn't do, at least not originally, was the epilogue sequence where because like, I was so tense, like I wanted to get the Hyperion back, and then you see a crash, and you're like, well, fuck, that's out the window now. Yeah. Um, like I thought it was lost at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you see like, no, this is a, this is going to be humanity's new home. We're going to have the Hyperion set up as you know, like the, I don't know how the, to, the you capital, know, I guess yeah, the capital, like they're going to make something of it and you can go around and everyone's talking and they're going to, they're setting up, um, not only future DLC, but like just how the universe is going to move forward from there. Like, yeah, I, I really think it was well done. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Did it, uh, did it, was the ending pleasing, you know, even, even, you know, taking it out of context of the rest of the game, how did you feel about it? Yeah, no, I thought the, uh, everything about the last mission was like on point, um, which just goes to show you that's like somebody at at Bioware still knows how to make a proper video yeah. game. Um, by the way, uh, writing. By the way, not to interrupt, but uh, because you let Sloan die, you missed out on her turning up uh, very briefly during the end sequence to help fight as well. So I'm sure. Reyes I'm sure came, so. Oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he showed up. Oh, funny. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, know. A lot of things came back from uh, from earlier. The um, I rescued the Krogan scouts on the Archon ship, and they showed up and were incredibly helpful during a, uh, oh, yeah. a combat sequence. So there was yeah, there was all kinds of great stuff about that, and it was like a counterpoint to everything that Mass Effect Three did wrong. They did right. Like <laughs> yeah. they ditched the stupid war asset number. You didn't have like a score for the whole game on how you did, yeah. but everything showed up there to help you. Like everybody was there, and like you know the Angara, the, the Moshi was. Not the Moshi. Was it the Moshi? I think she, I think she made an appearance. Yeah. And, um, was there a bad version of that ending? Is there I don't a way know. to get a bad ending? I don't know. I did everything that I possibly could ahead of time. So there was just constant voices coming over the comm. Like, hey, I'm here to help, Ryder. Just like I, somebody I mean, else every few seconds. Yeah. yeah, I meant to look into it. And I think I did hear, like, um, this as far as the Hyperion crashing. If you don't do certain things, Captain Dunn will die. Um, uh, okay. Well, it's, no. <laughs> there's, there's little things. But for the most part, it's more or less unchanged. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it, there was during the final um, the final battle, which is the only thing I've heard anybody criticize about the end sequence is that you don't get to fight the Archon. But I I didn't care about the Archon in the first place, so like that battle scene to me was really well done. Yeah. Um, but even during that last sequence where you got the Architect shooting on you and you're getting swarmed by Remnant, um, your other squad mates that aren't with you in your squad they show up and 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 back you up. They're yeah. fighting alongside you. Do they? Uh, so yeah, yeah, they're all stuff. over the place fighting too, and they they're actually pretty effective. Like I I didn't have Cora in my squad, and she turned up and started hitting people with biotic powers. It was really good. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it was you know it was bright. Um, like London was just kind of a dull, gray, boring slog through like wave after wave of enemies. But this was like really yeah. bright. You had a really cool car sequence as there's like dog fights going on ahead and explosions and things crashing around you. Yeah. And it's you know it's all really tense and exciting. And, you know, your allies are showing up here and there to make the fights easier. So you're not just shooting enemies down a hallway for a while. Like you get the Krogan that show up and you get all these yeah. people that are coming in. It's it was uh, it was great. I'm not sorry we didn't have the fight the Archon because I was calling it. I was thinking to myself, Archon is going to be an ascendant and we're going to have to shoot his stupid globe uh, globe <laughs> as, it, as it moves too. back and forth behind a shield. He'll just be super ascendant. But they, they didn't he's not that. another one of those. I, I had 26 Cobra Cobra RPGs. So every time the uh, the architect in that last mission gave me trouble, I just fired one at it and it went away for a little while. <laughs> so the architect wasn't really giving me too much trouble. Um, but yeah, a fun a fun mission um, and yeah, satisfying. Um, I I don't I mean it, it's got to be one of the more satisfying Mass Effect endings at least in terms of the gameplay uh the the fact that it didn't really have a you know that villain downfall that i cared about like i was with you chris like when i saw him die i was like okay good he's 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 dead (laughs) i didn't really give a crap about him anyway uh but yeah overall despite lacking that sort of a villain stuff i really did enjoy it um and it you know a lot of the post i did enjoy quite a lot of the post uh ending content too it was just enough. Um, did you guys get the hundred percent completion sort of thing back at Habitat Seven as well? Or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Not 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 really that uh, meaty in terms of content, but um, I liked all the conversation stuff. Uh, I, I think that game did a better job with sort of wrapping up stuff with your squad than a lot of the other games have done in the past. Honestly, um, ME Two had a little bit of sort of post Suicide Squad conversation stuff, but nothing quite as uh, substantial as this game suicide so that was cool sorry suicide yeah suicide <laughs> squad <laughs> but um yeah one other thing i wanted to point out about the ending real quick is in, in in spite of uh you know an actual meaningful like villain or you know race you care about i think they they set up the intrigue for future installments whereas for me personally like i was so invested yeah. in the future of the series after emmy one like like just thinking about the reapers darkening the sky of every world, like so worried about that. Yeah. You don't have that here, but you have intrigue of what are these settlements going to look like in a few years? Like what is the galaxy going to look like yep. in a few years? Like it sets up that intrigue just in a different tone than the other games did. So I think it, it did yeah. that well in spite of not having a good villain. Or... It does. And the information you find out about the remnant city and everything and about what, what happened before and, and the hints about the scourge, etc., are, you know, definitely some possibilities there. Um, and <laughs> so now this is probably the heaviest spoiler territory, but this is also one of the areas that I've been most interested to talk about. And considering all three of us did our fair share of speculation about how this game may or may not connect to the old series, uh, I, f- I, for, for, I hated the mechanic of looking for the memories, Alec Ryder memories, because it made no sense that they would be physically scattered around worlds that he had On never world been that to. he's never visited before, right. Yeah. However, it was worth it. And if you're out there listening to this, I, I highly recommend doing them because the content that it reveals and, the, and the, the few missions that it unlocks were very illuminative. And as somebody who did sort of want there to be some sort of logical connection to the old series. I actually kind of like this stuff a lot, and I'm interested to hear what you guys thought about it. So 
essentially there's a couple aspects one is is Ryder's personal history with his dad and everything which was interesting and and getting to find out that the mother character is still there frozen by the way so it's possible to end the game without knowing that the mother character is is there frozen basically is that is is that what that's implying like how like how could you know where she is if you haven't unlocked the memory that confirms that yeah i, I guess so i mean obviously it sounds like we all did yeah. that well I, I tell you it really raises the stakes of the hyperion going down when you know your mom's on there right, <laughs> still right. frozen right so i hadn't thought about that yeah, but yeah so, that's true and obviously you know if she's going to be unfrozen at some point it's going to have to be in the future whenever i guess biological research advances is that i guess that's the implication that they need to make some future advances so that's some interesting ground that can be covered and certainly worth it for seeing that. Oh no, I, I just got an idea of how they're going to handle that in the future. Oh. <laughs> she, what, is she going to be the villain? <laughs> they gonna... No, they're, they're going to turn her into a cat. Oh, oh God. no, <laughs> she's going to be exalted. Um, yep. Anyway, uh, so but one of but by far the most interesting stuff was the uh, the storylines that leading leading to Gian Garrison, the, the founder, and this mysterious benefactor. And I think we can all agree that the benefactor has clearly got to be the elusive man even though that you never actually get to hear his voice but there's more than enough evidence to suggest that cerberus is uh is there uh i really well, i don't sorry go ahead i was gonna say that's the big debate because i've actually this is definitely i think one of the higher points of the series and i've actually mm. looked into this a lot but there's been theories that maybe it's not him i th- i think it does point to him but mm. i think that there's been other theories that like it could be lexi which i find interesting um it could be Pre, we are a shadow broker, or even we are at this point. Um, there, I mean, there's a there's a lot of different, uh, you know. It's just it's just when you when when you hear the word benefactor, you think money, resources, secret, blah blah blah. Like it's and and this is this is whatever this stuff has had to have been in in place prior to Liara taking over as the shadow broker too. So that's kind of why I feel that can't be it but there, there's just so much tech and money involved i think it's got to be cerberus at the, at this point um so many many months before mass effect uh, andromeda was you know nearing completion tony i think you were one of the proponents of the you know th- there's got to be a th- there has to be a connection to the them departing the milky way galaxy and the reaper threat right like th- there had to have been some sort of connection between those two things, and now it turns out that's the case. We got to hear some very interesting correspondence from Liara after the shit hit the fan, I guess, about stuff coming, and uh, there were what w- those recordings from worlds being uh, attacked on the. Um... Those were taken directly from three, which I, I found yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, actual sequ- actual sequences that are or references to three. Um, the only loose end that that I that I uh, well, there's a lot of loose ends, but um, has it has is there any indication on who it was that would have killed Gian Garson on the other end? Like, would Cerberus have had a sleeper cell on like there in the initiative to take care of Garson for some reason? Like, does that make sense to either of you? Why, why that would be the case? I I would find that plausible because there's also another mission on Kadara where there is ex-Cerberus agents that were involved mm-hmm. in some kind of like mind control thing again like indoctrination type stuff yeah but um yeah i mean if, if Cerberus really I, and i mean even if they for whatever reason if like the elusive man and Cerberus had no direct involvement in either like funding or building you know the mm-hmm. the initiative he had to know about it and he had to get people on there just to do it you know yeah so i yeah i wouldn't <clears throat> 
you know, throw that outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, I, I assume that they're going to have to touch on that in the next game. Uh, I mean, Chris, do you think it's C- Cerberus? Uh, do you have any pet theories having heard all that? Uh, I'm reveal? I'm leaning against it being Cerberus um, <clears throat> because there's uh, the AI research thing is, is the thing that makes me think it might not be Cerberus. Because uh, the elusive man was developing Edie for the Normandy at this time, yes, yeah. Um, so they were already doing some kind of AI, but it seems like Sam took sort of a different path. So unless Cerberus was just doing multiple different AI ex- uh, experiments, I don't see why the elusive man wouldn't have wanted the kind of technology that Sam was capable of integrating with people, considering his end game of controlling the Reapers. That would be something he'd really want. So if he was in that involved with the Andromeda initiative, I think he would be more interested in having an AI like Sam. And we never got anything. Well, obviously the trilogy was written first. So yeah, uh, but retroactively, (laughs) he he didn't have that. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking it might be the shadow broker. Hmm. Uh, the only other person who would have that kind of information, influence, or maybe if not the shadow broker, someone hmm. close to the shadow broker, one of the shadow broker's agents or something. Yeah. Regardless, I, I like the fact that there's that connection because to me, uh, to me, there, you know, there's there's the okay, why why do they go to Andromeda? Now the real life here in the real world reason for that is. As we all know, the reason that this game is set in Andromeda is because they made the Milky Way radioactive based on what happened with the first trilogy. Like, literally, you can't tell any more stories in the Milky Way that aren't that aren't set in the past because of how it resolved. So that's the real reason. But they've got to come up with in-game reasons for why they went. And the initiative looks like it was founded legitimately because of an interest to explore. And, of course, there's that whole plot line about them finding a... Um, a Geth uh, telescope or something that that can like get signals faster than light from from Andromeda that obviously is a retcon as well. But now we actually do have a tangible connection of the Reaper threat also being behind at least, if nothing else, the urgency for the Andromeda initiative being pushed along as quickly as yeah, it they, did. They do mention it being pushed ahead of schedule. Yes, yeah, and um, I I I don't know. I mean, I know like Greg for example. Is among those people who do, who just would like it to be a, just a clean break and no connection. I like that there's that logical thing there. To me, to me, the the this many hundreds of thousands of people going, not having a connection to the 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 Reaper threat just doesn't make any sense. So the fact that that's there, even if it isn't going to be common knowledge, is interesting. I I do have to wonder: is it ever going to be common knowledge? Is that always going to be the initiative's dirty secret, or is there going to be more laundry aired in the next game? You know, are we going to find out who killed Garson and, and why? Um, yeah, it could it could be interesting. I mean, it, it looks like the initiative is going to turn more into a, a colonizing ent- entity, and the government side is going to be separate. Uh, at least it looks that it's heading that way, but uh, we shall see. It'll also be interesting to see how many years in the future it'll be, you know, uh, whether it's going to be the typical two- or three-year gap that we've had between some of the other games or whether they're going to jump ahead or not. Uh, we shall see. Uh, it'll also be interesting to see, you know, do you think you'll be able to choose the other the other sibling the next game or whether you'll have to stick with your choice from the first one i don't see why not i mean because if you choose the other one then it's hey you were just in cryo for so long i mean well the choices will carry across it's just you'll be a different character right i guess the only thing that might 
stint that is. I know, you know, in the first games, your character progression would carry over, so like your level. Yeah. So maybe that would be an issue, but maybe, yeah. Well, I could uh, see as a way of I could see them as a way of uh, doing the typical like character reset, forcing you to play the opposite twin. Although I don't think that would be a very popular move because people are going to want to yeah. have their choice. But that's one way to do it, maybe. But, you know, we've seen Bioware with the Dragon Age games have, you know, the who you play in the next subsequent games be a different person. But, you know, Mass Effect has always been about you carrying a character across a trilogy. Who knows whether that's still their intention here. Um, I didn't want to spend a huge amount of time on multiplayer. Um, for me, it's an improvement on three. It's fun. I like the jetpack portions. They need more maps, and the maps are too small. That's about all I have to say about it. They They need to improve on that a little bit but i mean their record of beefing up and expanding and adding content to three was pretty damn good wasn't it chris i mean you played it for ages if they spend as much effort on this game as they did on the third one i i think i think we could see some interesting things there yeah yeah i'm i like i like three's multiplayer i like andromeda's multiplayer pretty much same thing too yep. few maps too um too too small yeah and the enemy design is questionable. I'm not a big fan of those ascendants. Isn't yeah. what they're called? The ones with the orbs. The orbs. Yeah. Those are not yeah. not good. Here's the thing, though. Uh, the previous trilogy, they only had multiplayer in the third game. How are they going to handle multiplayer across another trilogy if that's the way they go? Like, does everything get thrown out the window when when Mass Effect Andromeda 2 comes out? Does that game just go into the the bin? Are there going to be factions of people playing Mass Effect Andromeda multiplayer? across more than one game it'll be interesting to see how they they handle that because it's not something they've had to deal with before right um well let's talk about future potential um for d and we can talk dlc a sequel um what would you like to see tony i mean obviously with the ending the way it is very similar to sort of the first ending where there's a th and in there's future threats and and you know the future of the initiative in this case um I mean, they could do almost anything with DLC here, right? Um, but what, you know, is, is... I guess it's a question of how much how much is going to be sequel fodder and how much is going to be DLC fodder. But what would you like to see regardless? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys saw this too. There was the um, lead up to the there being the... Um, uh, the oh God, why am I forgetting? What, what was Tally's race? <laughs> oh, blame. the Quarians. Yeah, the Quarian, the Quarian yeah, arc. More arcs coming, yeah. Right, so that's probably going to be... It seems like they're setting up that that's going to be the first piece of DLC. Um, what I would like to see is them kind of do like a, pre a preemptive kind of lead-in into the next one, kind of like how Arrival was kind of like the lead-in from 2 to 3. Yeah, I'd like to see them kind of do that, like, hey, here's the next cluster maybe that you're going to be able to explore, and here's kind of a glimpse of what you expect to find there, what the cat are doing there yep. kind of thing. Like, that's, I think, the, the main thing I want to see is them set up like we, I think they did a good job establishing this cluster and everything they did here. I want to see them kind of give a little insight into what we could expect yeah. going into possibly another cluster or, you know, seeing some different races or what the cat are doing elsewhere. Yep. So Chris, I'm assuming for DLC, you're just looking for lots more on Gara, right? Like that, that'd be your. Uh... <laughs> I want like a really in-depth cultural examination of some or like some Angaran ruins or. You know, something to give me the rich history of that race that's been lost for centuries since the cat came. Because nothing would thrill me more. A whole ten centuries, no less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a day more. Um, yeah, uh, no, what would you like to see between DLC and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a sequel? Um, Potential for sequels, I guess. 
Same thing with the Quarians. Uh, that was an intriguing little cliffhanger there um, yeah. because they were warning everyone to stay away. Yeah. Um, whatever they ran into was not good. Uh, I don't really care about DLC that much. So, you know, it, whatever whatever comes out, I'll probably end up playing it. Yep. Um, I don't have any particular hopes. I, I, I would prefer them to just work on the next game. Mm. And as far as that goes, uh, you know, I want to find out more about the Jardan, I think Jardin, is what their names yeah. are, the, the Remnant race. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit more about the Ket. Uh, the, what was her name? The, the Ket that you could side with? The Primus. Jim, Prim, yeah, the Primus. Um, that was the... The only really interesting thing about the cat was that they weren't all necessarily on the same page. Yep. So that that is interesting to me, and I'd like to see more of that. Um, possibly like a cat squad mate or something. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, because they're not just you know they're not just mindless robots. They are they are people. They've they've just been modified. Yeah. Yeah. I I, th- um, I think it'll be interesting to see if. Like the the Archon, it's pretty clear by the end of the game that the Archon is not driven by the like he obviously exaltation is important to him, but he seems to be driven by different uh, priorities than the rest of the the Ket hierarchy, by and large. So it'll be interesting to see that faction fleshed out if if that's what they're going to do. I, I mean, they couldn't be any less interesting than they are now, right? <laughs> I, I think it can only go up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I just want to see the game return to having an interesting villain. You know, I, I, if this is supposed to be a space opera and yeah, it is, um, then yeah, I, I think it's really missing an interesting villain. Um, I, I'd also like to see, um, I'd also like to see them uh, get some more RPG elements back, but I think we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> I think the game's just going to continue to be streamlined and streamlined, and God knows what they'll strip out of this. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, we we saw some pretty substantial changes between one and two last time around, um, assuming that they're going to be listening to feedback, and I, I don't know if our feedback is necessarily uh, consensus. Uh, um, I mean, I... I I think I think they'll probably throw the crafting out and restart again because that's just that was a complete bust. But I don't know. There, there's certainly a lot of potential. I mean, it's a whole new galaxy to explore, and this is only one small cluster of it. Um, I, you know, another thing I'm hoping for is a better variety of aliens. I think you kind of touched on that, Tony. Like, you know, the just from a design standpoint, they had to carry across so many existing Milky Way aliens that they really only had time to do the Angara. I mean, resources to do Angara, Ket. And then the the remnant, which were just different types of robots. So, it'd be nice to see some more, just more aliens of different varieties. I I guess uh, I I know that that adds a lot to the the game and the time it takes to put it to market. I guess and the complexity. But um, it's a new galaxy, and we've really only seen two new races and the robot remnants of a of a race that came before them. So. Um, by the way, I, another thing I should mention is I was really worried up front how much the Remnant were going to um, remind me of the Protheans, and they didn't. They didn't really. So I don't know. I consider that a good a good thing. I, I if I'd been hearing constantly Prothean stuff sort of ringing in my ears, that would have really bothered me. Um, but that you know the Remnant managed to be somewhat interesting uh, despite the, my natural inclination to assume they'd be 
very similar. So, um, anyway, I'll wrap it up there. Unless uh, final thoughts from either of you two. Um, a lot to talk about, and um, ho very hopeful for the next game. Uh, unless you've got anything else to add. No, I think we we did a pretty good job here. I think we're what an hour and a half in. I yeah. think we we covered quite a bit. So, um, yeah, it was a like I said at the top, a very I enjoyed it more than I thought it was than I thought I would. I thought the side content was really good, and just looking forward to the future. Finally, yeah, like to you know be back on good terms with this franchise. So yeah, and I'm hoping they raise their game with the writing uh, and and take some of the criticism to heart because uh, you know the. Just the quality of the writing is is just not where it was before, and uh, I'm, I can't really put a finger on why that is. Uh, it's it's just <laughs> yeah, a lot of cr a lot of a lot of cringing and, and a lot of um, a lot of stuff that was just ill fitting to the, to the overall game. So yeah, I'd like to see that uh, pick up in, in the next iteration. So well, thanks to uh, my guests. Chris and Tony, um, as I said up at the top of the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Enthusiax or follow our YouTube channel, Enthusiax, where all our video content resides. Um, head to our forums up on the top right-hand page of Enthusiax.com if you want to join in the conversation there. Um, our email address for this podcast is pointstreak at Enthusiax.com if you have any questions or feedback or suggestions. Thanks once again to my guests. Thank you for listening and join us again on another episode of Point Streak. Thank you, guys. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you. Peace be with you.